And then, uh, but there's a balance between Easy Like Sunday Morning and Johnny Cash's Sunday Morning coming down. And uh, yeah, I appreciate your good humor on that, Anita. I must have dropped the wrong uh, document in the uh, email, but that means Anita has an early copy of the introduction <laughs> mission. And so. Look, I'd like to invite you on a different and complicated journey. The problem is we won't be starting that journey in the same place. But I invite you to begin with me. And during this sermon, I'm going to address last week's missile attacks from Hamas in the Gaza Strip that killed 1,000 Israelis during a holiday celebration of Sukkot. I will also address the humanitarian issues that follow during the Israeli siege in Gaza. The sermon will be heavy. It won't answer many questions. In fact, there is so much to say that it will be easy for me to leave out very important parts. So I ask you to be patient with me while we walk this journey together to see what's happening from multiple sides as we do this. But my journey starts with the lyrics of a song, as they often do. The song is not the journey. The song is not the point. It's just a prelude. But to fully understand the song, I want you to imagine a strong, heavy metal dissonance with guitars riffing in conflict. A wow, if you must. The riffs of the guitars drop like bombs and the words sung by Ozzy Osbourne's high-pitched nasal knife-edged voice start. Generals gathered in their masses, just like witches at black masses. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerers of death construction. In the fields, the bodies burning as the war machine keeps turning. Death and hatred to mankind poisoning their brainwashed minds. This song, War Pigs by Black Sabbath, was released in 1970 uh, and intended to comment on the Vietnam War. It parallels military leadership with an evil cult. These generals are priests of dark arts, gathering secretly, offering incantations and sacrifices to serve death and division. Ozzy Osbourne continues singing in his nasally knife-edged voice. Politicians hide themselves away. They only start the war. Why should they go to fight? They leave their work to the poor. Time will tell on their power minds, making war just for fun, treating people just like pawns in chess, waiting for the judgment day to come. So he speaks a very blunt accusation into the air. We know throughout the draft through Vietnam and Korea that there were tricks powerful men could use to keep their sons out of harm's way. 
which often involved money, sometimes favors. Today there is no draft, but it doesn't mean there are no tricks. Today people often choose military service for many reasons. We can join the National Guard and the Reserve Forces one weekend a month, six weeks in the summer, and we will, it will pay for college until something breaks out. Of course, there are youth who choose to join because they want to serve their country. They want to live lives that matter, lives that will bring them honor. There are those people that serve in military. But I wonder too if many join because military service provides structure in systemic chaos. And for the poor, it's the only way to go to college. In this way, the poor become a resource for a war machine. I wonder how well voluntary military service would go when we don't have a resource like poor people to feed that machine. In these words written by Geezer Butler, sung by uh, Black Sabbath and Ozzy Osbourne, tell of the natural endpoint of continued long-term war. Now in darkness, world stops turning, ashes where the body's burning. No more war pigs have the power, hand of God has struck the hour. Day of judgment, God is calling on their knees, the war pigs crawling. Begging mercy for their sins, Satan laughing spreads his wings. But how many times in the 10,000 years of human existence have we fought the war that will end all wars just to fight the next war that will end all wars? And no matter how many times we fight that war that ends all wars, there's still yet another one. And it may be that there will always be war, and it may be that war only ends when we leave this life or when there's nothing left of humanity. It may be that we never learn to beat our swords into plowshares, that war is eternal. But that's not the point of the song. The point of the song is to highlight a lucrative nature of war. What I want you to remember as this sermon progresses is that war seldom benefits the people it most affects. And I do say seldom, not always, because there are aspects of liberation that do come from armed combat. Especially when we are in movements against fascism or genocide. But we also have to remember that much of modern warfare has less to do with freedom and more to do with resources, power, and money. Defense contractors on average donate $30 million to political candidates. The breakdown is currently about 55% Republican and 45% Democrat. And I don't say that to draw a, a distinction between the two, except to say that is often a much closer than many people who hold certain stereotypes would believe. But understand that $30 million isn't a lot when it comes 
to political donation, especially across all of our political leaders. Agriculture and infrastructure easily triple that number. What I mean is, whether it's Republican or Democrat, military contractors are buying politicians at bargain basement rates. I told you this was going to be a journey. Warfare is lucrative. And I'll still say that doesn't mean it's not necessary. But it's lucrative. However, the people it benefits most are not the people it most affects. And I will say that again because that is the most important ideal going through on this sermon. That is the most important thing to remember as I move through history and as I move through time. War seldom benefits the people most affected. I was disheartened this past Sunday upon arriving home. I had a good day. To find out that Israel had declared war on Gaza. Even before learning about the airstrike killing a thousand Israelites in the murders outside of Gaza in the kibbutzes, my heart sunk. I thought of my American Muslim and Jewish friends who will and already have become targets simply because of who they are. It made me think back to COVID-19 and the hatred spewed against the American Chinese just because of how they looked. This past week I had the chance to sit down with a dear Muslim friend of mine and she talked to me about family and friends on both sides of the wall around Gaza. She told me that threats have already started to come to her and her friends in the American Muslim communities. There'll be a unity service this afternoon uh, hosted by a Jewish federation. And we have to register in advance and bring ID for safety. And I don't think, how did we get here? fact is, I know how we got here. What I often wonder is, why are we still here? And then I remember how lucrative war is. War forgets that Hamas might be in the Gaza Strip, but Hamas is not the Gaza Strip. Most of the people living in the Gaza Strip are peaceful people just trying to survive. Following Hamas's attack on Israel and the attacks on Palestine that followed, I was comforted by the wise words of UUA President Sophia Betancourt, which I do hope you will read in the entirety. But this one part says, I pray for the people of Israel and Palestine. I pray for leaders around the globe who must respond to this latest flare of violence in the unattainable ethical considerations that abound. I pray for Muslim and Jewish UUs who experience the impact of this long strife acutely. I pray that brutality and harm will not turn away 
from generational loss, from the devastating realities that their root causes, or from the relentless tragedy of war and occupation. Be gentle with yourselves when you need to be, but do not turn away unless you must. We are one global family living tenuously on the same human impacted earth. Let us center ourselves in justice and peace. And that brought me comfort, but then I still read the news every day. Every day started with the different news sites, the different reporting to see what was happening. The death toll three days ago, 1,300 Israelis and 1,350 Palestinians in Gaza, 500 of whom were children. And to my knowledge, they haven't started the invasion yet. Now this is a very complicated issue that it's easy to take a simple, uh, a simple path of... Um, opinion on. But this issue is too complicated for a simple opinion. See, a hundred years ago, the Jewish state of Israel didn't exist. In the late 1800s, this area was under the control of the Ottoman Turks. In fact, they controlled most of the Middle East, and they had controlled it since the 7th century CE. Over a thousand years. And during that time, the area was mostly stable. Muslim, Christian, and Jew would come and go from Palestine as they pleased. But it is important to note that the percentage of Jewish people in Palestine was very small. After World War I, the Ottoman Empire fell. England and France did what England and France does. They took control of the area England taking control of the land that would be called Palestine. Around the same time, a movement called Zionism, this is in 1897, begins to grow in Eastern Europe and the United States where Jews start to immigrate to Palestine in large numbers with the idea that they would build their own Jewish state for safety. However, Palestinian culture at this time was also galvanizing and solidifying following the long rule of the Ottoman Turks. The, re the region began to see strife almost immediately as the two sides clashed to the point that at one point uh, the British turned off Jewish emigration to this place. The region then came World War II and the Holocaust. The Jewish idea of Zionism would gain international support especially in Western Europe and the United States, following the mass atrocities that took place in Nazi Germany. In 1948, England would decide they were done with the region. And though they had shifted back to inviting and encouraging Jewish emigration, they would pull out completely, leaving them to what they had started. The UN created a plan dividing the country into two states with Jerusalem under international control. Now understand, at this time, the Jewish uh, militia forces 
had formed and began fighting the Palestinians and the English, which is part of the reason the British left. And that the rest of the Middle East had just galvanized into their own countries as England and France both pulled out of the larger area. To them, to the rest of the Middle East, the UN, an outside organization making a statement about who is and is not allowed to live in land that had been historically theirs, began to look like a colonial trick. Especially as Jewish settlers began ousting Palestinians from generational homes. The fact is that parties involved have never agreed on the borders. And countries of the world have never agreed and still do not agree on the borders. But what is clear is that a hundred years ago, there was no Israel. There was simply Palestine and all the lands that became Israel already had communities of other people already living there. And war would break out year after year and I don't have time to go into the intifadas. I don't have time to go into the six-day war. I don't have time to go into all that stuff that fed this boiling cauldron that became the Middle East countries. Which sometimes it was the Middle East that were the aggressors and sometimes it was Israel that were the aggressors. And then at one point the Middle East sort of washed their hands and left the Palestinians to who they were. But what the Palestinians always remembered was for generations this land had belonged to my family and now it doesn't because someone from outside said so. And they never agreed to let go of it. So over the years, Israel would garner support from countries like the United States and Britain and much of Europe as a foothold in a complicated region, especially during an oil boom. And though I'm not going to get much into it during this sermon, there is also a religious Christian perspective that allies Christianity with a Jewish Israel that in many times has inappropriately shaped US, uh, our U.S. heritage. Over the years, Israel would garner more support, control, and power. They would violate the original treaties. They would settle the West Bank. They would create a Palestinian authority beneath them. They would build walls around both the West Bank and Gaza, controlling the power, the water, the sewage, and the coming and going of the area. So that now, the Palestinians had to carry papers to move from one place to another and go through checkpoints. Over the years, through militarization, Palestinians would become second-class citizens without full rights that the Israelis would have. And Israel would segregate them off while paying people to move into those neighborhoods in the West Bank 
which was supposed to be Palestinian, at this stage, there is about 30% of the West Bank that is overtly Palestinian. Around the world, Israel would be declared an apartheid state by some, a foothold state by others. But as I said, no one ever agreed on the borders, especially the people who live there. But what's clear is we have to denounce the killing of innocents, don't we? We have to denounce the killing of a thousand Israelis from a missile launch that took place on a holy day of the Jewish faith. We have to announce or denounce the killing of innocents in bombings of synagogues and mosques. But then shouldn't we denounce all the killings of innocents, including the ones in the Gaza Strip, in prior to this, the West Bank? See, isn't, Israel isn't carrying out surgical strikes based on intelligence that tells them where Hamas is. They are carpet bombing poor people. They aren't even trying to avoid innocent lives. Israel has now killed more Palestinians in Gaza than Hamas killed during the initial strike. And the people and the people Israel is killing are not Hamas. At least, I can tell you the 500 or so children that are dead are not Hamas. The siege of the Gaza Strip has caused a complete power outage, not just to Hamas, but to the millions of people in Gaza. According to the Red Cross, hospitals in Gaza will soon become morgues. So how do we address the humanitarian issues with this war? How do we address the humanitarian issues with any war? How do we move forward as a people on the other side of the world? And even from what I've said today, there still isn't enough time to talk about the nuance of history, to tell the whole story. The pogroms in Poland and Eastern Europe, the organized killing of the Jews, the horror of the Nazi campaign, there isn't enough time to talk about the policies in Israel that led to Palestinians being forced out of their home and forced to live like prisoners behind walls. There isn't time to talk about the British occupation of Palestine or the Israeli occupation of Palestine. But at some point, we've got to make time to talk about it from a perspective that understands the people that are being most affected by this war are not the people who say it should happen. We have to talk about this history without dehumanizing. We can't make generalized statements about this region of the world ever. This bombing was terrible. The bombing in Israel on a holy day is terrible. Taking hostages is terrible. And to some degree we need to do everything ethically that we can to get them back. 
But this did not happen in a vacuum. This isn't the first shock. And to many, it's just another response to the West choosing to ignore what's happening to Palestinians. Which is something Americans need to understand, especially in Oklahoma with our history of occupying native land. Based on what many of the time believed to be a holy man or a holy man a holy mandate, a manifest destiny. As I said, there is no easy answer to this story. And it's hard sometimes to figure out what love looks like in this context. But there's no time because we have to get out before noon. But remember, this is a nuanced and complicated situation. And war seldom benefits the people most affected. It's easy for people, especially poor people, to become pawns, whether they're hostages or neighbors, or whether they have nothing to do with this struggle. Because war seldom affects the people most, or seldom benefits the people most affected. Somebody always gets paid during war, and somebody always gets rich, while all poor people get is death. 